welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Brain Tools Podcast. I know what you're all thinking well, who is this person? What is this voice? We are not dead. We are well and truly alive. Sam and I just took a little bit of a vacation for the past few weeks. We're recharged, we're rebooted, and we're ready to get stuck in for a monster 2021 with weekly episodes, brain guides, and an exciting newsletter that has all the good stuff with a recap of each episode with an implementation guide at the end. If you want to have a look at that right off the bat, please head to braintools.substack.com and you will be able to access it and subscribe, which will be fantastic. Now, what we're going to be doing as we're entering 2021 is we're rounding out our series on emotions. We, if you have tuned in, which I know you have, looked at positive and negative emotion first, all about identification. We then looked at emotion regulation, the regulation of the self. And then last but not least, we're moving into emotion management, the regulation of the emotions of other people. So this is a very exciting episode to round out the series, but there's one thing that's on my mind that I have to ask. Samuel, how are you? Very, that was one of your best introductions so far. After a long hiatus, ladies and gentlemen, he comes in hot. He's been practicing <laughs> all afternoon, just sitting there staring at the mirror, just knowing he's going to get out. Literally in my room 20 times I've done that. I'm like, yeah. do I know how to do this anymore? I appreciate that. Kieran, pull together. Kieran, come on. You got this. Brain tools. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Refreshed. Long break. Lots of lots of rest. Lots of respite. But launching back into what is going to be probably a pretty busy 2021. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I've come off uh, a three-week break, and I tell you what, I've uh, just played golf. I think this is the common theme that I tell you all the time. But I'm uh, I'm rocking uh, a glove tan. If you look at half my arm, tan. And then I like literally take up the other one. It's literally just white. So I'm literally going around, and be like, "Oh, Kieran, where'd you get all this sun? It's great." I'm like, "Yeah, little do you know, there's the white one." <laughs> oh, there we go. So you've been in a lot of jewels over the summer, just slapping people left, right, and center. <laughs> Pretty much, that's a long short. What did you get up to on your break, my friend? I uh, did a bit of camping, had a, a lovely couple of days at the beach, took some some rest uh, and then visited some wineries. So overall, relatively productive for what was a pretty chaotic social period. Um, and now we're going to be talking about the emotional management, which I think is a great topic, personally. It is a phenomenal topic. I mean, like, look, we're recharged. We should be able to manage people's other people's emotions, but um, it's a tough one, right? We find ourselves in so many situations where people are experiencing acute positive and negative emotion, and it's left to other individuals to try and manage it. It's a tough one. It is. And, and kind of what we're going to cover today and possibly what I think is most pertinent on the subject is how to deal with people freaking out and panicking or stressed out and worrying or angry and yelling. So you'll learn a little bit about the process of emotional management in your own head and what to do 
uh, in those situations to help you deal with the emotions of those you love and the emotions uh, of those around you. And why I think it's probably really relevant right now is we've all had friends freak out. We've all had you know, family members scream at each other, arguments. Uh, you've dealt with people who are stressed out. It could even be a coworker, right? I mean, I know personally for myself, my family, uh, love them dearly, can be hotheads. Oh, wow. Look at you go. I'm the massive hedge. I knew you were going to the family. I mean, like everyone always views After. Christmas as this time for family oh. love and so on, but like mm. it can get pretty, it can be pretty tense. Behind closed doors, there is a furnace erupting in most <laughs> households. I can tell you that for a fact. And so <laughs> I think there is no better period of time in the year where you get to see the whole gamut of, uh, of emotions and emotional management too and mitigation strategies. And I'll tell you what, I had to use a couple over Christmas and I'm grateful that I had them in my back pocket because not everyone has that. But there's a lot, of problems, totally a lot of problems with the way we interpret other people's emotions. I totally agree with you. Like you're talking about it from like a family perspective. Like we're just coming back into the office, like full throttle and gone from not seeing a lot of people to being exposed to lots of needs, lots of wants, lots of desires and having oh, to manage God. the emotions of other people as, you know, things heighten up, right? It's all about execution and getting stuff done. And I've definitely bear the brunt of, of that. And, you know, sometimes successfully, most of the time unsuccessfully dealing with said emotions. <laughs> quarter three, baby, quarter three, hit them targets, quotas. <laughs> and I think that's the thing though, as we spoke about, right, is that one of the major problems we have with managing other people's emotions is obviously you've got to manage your own first, but we have a tendency, Sam, and I know you've seen this before where we have a tendency to project our own emotions onto other people when we try to manage theirs. And so it leads us to make a massive amount of assumptions in terms of, as we said, what, how, what people are feeling and how they're feeling and how we choose to try and motivate them or increase or decrease their positive and negative emotion. It's a tough. It is super tough. And you're so right about that. We, we, we project our own effective internal estate because that's, that's how we often think, right? We, we try to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes. So I know we're going to cover a little bit about that today. We're going to really talk about uh, how it happens in the brain, how emotion management happens in the brain, and, and we'll allude to, to empathy too, but also the conditions in which emotion management, emotional management comes to play, like how it actually works in the real world. Because it's not, it's not, it's it's not just as simple as saying you know regulate someone else. Yeah, totally. It's like that'd be the easiest, right? It's like yeah. nail, hammer, yeah. smack. Yeah, yeah, exactly uh, right. <laughs> doesn't doesn't work like that, even though we wish it did. Um, oh, but to, to your nice. point, I think Stop being like, angry. <laughs> when we think about the emotion management, right? Then like the, the topic itself is it's almost like there's three conditions that have to be met that are sort of inter interlinked with it. And, you know, we always talk about the buzzword empathy, but we've got to probably answer three questions as we go through this and do it successfully, which is first empathy is like, can I imagine the emotions someone else might feel, right? The whole idea of putting yourself in someone's shoes, but can you imagine that? Because that's all in your head in reality. The second point though is like emotion perception, right? Can you actually see the emotions? What do they look like on another person? Can you recognize it and have that pattern recognition? And the third one is emotional expression. Once you've actually recognized that stuff, can you express your own emotions to modulate theirs? And I think that's the whole notion then that sets up for positive and actually effective emotion management. Can you influence someone else's emotions? Can you do it productively? And I think that's, as we said, what we're going to delve in today, but it really does start off with that, that core crux of empathy, which everyone loves to word me like, hey, I'm empathetic. Oi, are you empathetic? Use your empathy, empathetic oh. leadership, compassionate leadership. What does that mean? So Sam, I think, I think we need to delve into a bit of empathy. Modern day virtue signaling. I have high <laughs> EQ. Um, talk, talk to me, talk to me. I like, 
to be fair, it, it does have a massive role to play. Absolutely. And it's also really important to, to know, kind of getting down deep into the brain, that we're wired for empathy. I think we're, we are hardwired from an evolutionary standpoint for empathy. So there's this actually process, there's a process called a neural coupling or neural synchronization or mirroring. And what happens is when you see someone in pain or experiencing a situation, your brain mirrors their same neural activation, the same things happening in their brain in the parts of the visual cortex or the movement cortices or the pain, the insular, the anterior cingulate cortex to mimic exactly what they're feeling. And this happens on this subconscious level, right? So if I see you in pain, if, you, if I see you have a really bad day experiencing something, my brain will subconsciously activate the same parts of the brain that your, your brain would be activated to help me understand and process your emotions. And this happens on this really, really subconscious level. And you can actually see it uh, in a lot of the fMRI studies, which we'll link in the, the brain guides, that when, when we experience empathy, if you were to take the brain of the person experiencing the situation and someone watching them, they look almost identical, mm. which is crazy. So we have this, this innate uh, wiring for empathy, but it does require a couple of things. And there are some problems. It does require us to pay attention. And it only happens if we really tune in to the nonverbals uh, of the other person and, and, and kind of listen. I really like that because can I? Well, I've got a, got a question that's on the top of my head right now that I feel like people might be mm. because everyone's talked a lot about these idea of mirror neurons, right? Like in the science, I'm <sighs> feeling that this is different though, right? This is different. How dare you? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, back. Talk about emotion management. Manage my emotion, Sam. <laughs> so yeah, this is, so for a bit of context, yeah, mirror neurons was this theory of Spouse, kind of early 2000s, late 2000s. Uh, just before 2010 by V.S. Ramachandran and a couple other neuroscientists. And the concept was that you had specific cells in your brain that activated and mirrored when you experience the same thing as someone else. Now, we kind of know that that's not true. You don't have specific cells. It's just that your brain is able to replicate the same patterns of activation as if you're experiencing that event. Um, so mirror neurons debunked multiple times. Um, but the concept of mirroring and neural coupling and kind of imagining when you, you synchronize two devices at the same time, but that's happening in your brain uh, with someone else. It's like synchronized swimming. Like we use the word synchronized, synchronized swimming, swimming. Like all the same time. And I think that's key. And we say, right? We say, oh, we're so in sync. Or I, when you say in sync, I just think Justin Timberlake. I think I'm on another wavelength. I think that like also, by the way, very well put in terms of debunking the idea of mirror neurons. But I think to, to build upon what you're saying from an empathy standpoint, I totally with you. Like it's, it's really wide. Like Charles Darwin came up with the idea that, you know, humans are or animals are innately sympathetic, different obviously mm -hmm. to empathetic. But in a study that to build upon what you're saying in the Journal of Neuroscience, October 9, 2013, Max Planck, he identified, and his team, obviously, that the tendency to be egocentric is innate for human beings that goes against that notion of empathy. So there's a part of your brain that recognizes a lack of empathy and it looks to auto-correct it. And this specific part of your brain is called the right supramarginal gyrus. And all you really need to know uh, for those listening at home is basically empathy is dramatically reduced when this part of our brain sucks. So like a lot of the time when you think about psychopaths, they struggle, They're like the area in their brain here actually decreases in activation when required to be empathetic, which is actually quite interesting. But it is the part of the brain that helps us distinguish our own emotional state from that of other people. And so not saying that this 
entire areas responsible for empathy and compassion. Again, we need to be mindful that there are multiple brain areas that are responsible for multiple behaviors and actions. But I think it becomes a really interesting one when you look at whether people are empathetic or not empathetic from, you know, parts of the brain that are damaged. So to yeah, speak. that's this very Antonio Damasio of you. Um, really, really famous neurobiologist and, and uh, overall surgeon too. But it's, it's super fascinating that you mentioned that because you know, you've got this correlation between damage to a part of the brain, which processes pain and empathy. And if you were to look in the brain, empathy manifests itself in three ways from a, from a kind of cognitive overview of the brain. And the first component is the emotional, you know, we feel, we feel what I feel, what you feel. I feel your, your anxiety, your stress. I pick it up in your nonverbals. Do you, face, face do you really? I mean, at the wow. moment, I'm just getting a lot of irritation. But uh, <laughs> that could just be your face. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, mate. So there's that kind of first concept of emotional, and it's often subconscious. We don't even know we're doing that. The second part is this theory of cognitive empathy and theory of mind. And that's when we can take into account the, the context and the perspective around why someone would be feeling something. And I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say two people break their wrists and they come to the doctor. The first person breaks their wrist and it's an old grandma. She's 86 and the doctor said, kind of looks at her and says, okay, well, this is your treatment plan. I can understand how you feel. The second person comes and breaks their wrist and they're a champion scale and they're not going to be able to go skiing or practice for the next six months. There's a totally different empathetic response because the doctor understands the value of that, that break and broken wrist to the skier is in early much more than the grandma. There's so much more at stake. And so this ability to have theory of mind to be able to look into someone else's mind and take on their perspective is the second part of empathy. And the third part of empathy in the brain is the pain component, like you touched on. You know, if you, you look at all the fMRI studies around empathy, the common activation areas are the insula, which processes a lot of our pain response, and the anterior cingulate cortex, which also processes some of our social pain uh, and rewards. So really there's these three areas that happen simultaneously. Uh, in empathy, it's not as simple as saying, I feel what you feel. We're actually able to do a lot more. But as I touched on before, as as you kind of referred to, you can't really do that unless you pay attention, unless you're really deeply listening. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point because when you talk about that theory of mind, which I, I really like, I'm just thinking like about triage. You know when people like come into hospitals, right? And they've got a variety of different things happening, people near death to not near death. Like you really do as a quote unquote doctor or in the ER, you've got to be able to have some sort of criteria, obviously consciously to do that. But you've also got to mitigate that through the, uh, the lens of the emotional pull as well. And I find that fascinating because there was a study that looked at the idea of pain and you know how we look to empathize with other people when we are in pain or when our pain is dulled through analgesic manners. And it basically showed that when our pain is numb, our empathy is also decreased. Um, yeah, well, and it, again, it comes down to that whole notion of egocentric, like we will go for the self first and then look to project based on, you know, what we, what we know in the pattern recognition, um, which yeah, to build a, build that whole, whole, whole triage, I think is, I think it's really interesting. I'm just thinking about it right now. Keep thinking, keep thinking. Cause I'm now feeling what you're feeling. This is empathy emotion. Um, <laughs> I love it. Empathy emotion. And the good part about this, as we've discussed in terms of the topic itself, going through empathy, obviously, if you haven't checked out the previous episodes, please go to do so because we deep dive into positive emotion, negative emotion, emotion regulation. But we're now going to move into the next section now that we've, you know, dropped the veil on a little bit of empathy on a little bit of emotion management. It's time to crack into four brain tools to increase our capacity for emotion management. Oh, I love it.
and welcome back to the most practical part of the show. This is the segment where we'll give you four brain tools uh, for emotional management uh, to use your brain to help better regulate other people and help them deal with their emotions. Uh, but I know before we get into that, there are definitely a couple of absolute no-nos, uh, some, some sins we all commit uh, when it comes to emotional management. You're spot on. And like, just want to crack in, right? The whole idea of working out what you should do is obviously to work out what you shouldn't do. And so I want to start with the two biggies to say, hey, this is no, no, this is no go zone. So Sam, the first one, and I feel like I've done this many times. I'm sure you have. I'm sure everyone has, but we can't mutter, mutter these words. I understand what you feel. No, you don't. Uh, Even if you do, the other person doesn't think you do. I hate don't it. hate those words, Sam. It. It makes you, and it makes you mad. Yeah, it makes you so mad, but it also doesn't mean anything. Like, how, how do I feel? What do you mean you understand how I feel? You haven't said any words. Oh, it is literally, people say, and again, we're not having a crack at people because this, yeah. this is the default to do so, right? We've done it before. But it's normally when pe people say it when they don't know what words to find or use. And they're just like, oh, I understand what you feel. It's normally a throwaway line. Yeah. But we want to remove that because of the damage it can do when you try to manage other people's emotions. Like when you say to someone, relax when they're pissed off. Oh, yeah. You don't do that. Calm, yeah, calm down. That really calm works. down. Relax. Oh, thanks so much. Really appreciate your advice wow. on emotion. Way, way to be empathetic. So avoiding avoiding the whole notion of trying to label early on, not the specific emotions they're feeling, but the fact that you somehow manage to know and understand what's going on. And the second one that I just want to say from a Cardleston no-no, and just see if you agree with this, Sam, is sharing your personal experience too soon. Like people have a tendency when they see a problem other person feels, they feel the need to say, I understand what you feel. Here's what I've felt before. And that's why you should feel okay about it. But the reality is they don't really care about the fact that you've experienced it. All they really care in that moment is that they are experiencing it and they want to know that it's okay they're experiencing it, but not through the fact that other people have, if that makes sense. I totally agree with that. I think they want to know you understand it first. It's And it's kind of you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that at some stage, but they want to know that you're listening and you're understanding how they feel rather than you just trying to throw back your experiences in their face. That's a really good one. I have done it before as well. A couple of times might be guilty somewhat, a little bit. Oh, join, join the club, join the club. Yeah. My, my team members could attribute this being like, you're in doing that early on, but I got a little bit better. But with that being said, we obviously want to get into the leveraging the things that you should do in terms of managing the emotions of other people. And Sam, I want to start off, if I can, with a brain tool. Is that all right? Please kick us off. Brain tool number one. So brain tool number one. For 2021. Brain tool 2021. number one for 2021. That is nice. I like that a lot. Is number one, create your own mirror. Okay. Now, that might seem weird, but I just want to, I want to zone back a little bit and think about it, right? Because the, the problem mm. people normally end up having is we can't necessarily see how we express our emotions ourselves and the, the cues that we have to negative or positive stimuli. And we don't realize how we ourselves manage, manifest it. So it becomes really difficult to try and manage other people's emotions when you've already negatively or positively geared them based on your emotional state. And the way in which I think about this, it's akin to driving your car without any mirrors. Like if you can't see... Um, when you're driving along, you can't see where other people are and what they're doing. And it becomes really hard for you to navigate that as well. So it's going internal first to realize that you're possibly blind to other people's emotions because you're blind to your own. And so that's why brain tool solution number one, hopefully, is to create your own mirror. You need to understand what your own emotional states look like first before you try and understand other people's. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it does. So uh, I, I really like that. You've kind of got to understand how you're manifesting emotions and what you're projecting outwards 
because obviously people will pick up on that. We talked about before that neural synchronization process that happens. How do you, how do you go about this though? Really good question. So I thought about this a bit. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm going to run this past you because I like these two. The research suggests it can work, but you've obviously got to have people that know you really well, right? Like yeah. the number of people, right. That have, I'm playing golf right now. I haven't taken a lesson, but I've never seen myself swing. So I can't even, I don't even know what that looks like. So the question becomes who has actually seen you swing, who has seen your emotions? Generally speaking, it's your parents or your partner. So the, the action here is actually to go and have a conversation with your parents or your partner. And I literally mm. ask them out of curiosity, what you do when you are in a certain emotional state. So for example, the other day I did this with mum and dad. Um, and it, again, it was a hard conversation to have because I didn't realize half the things that I did, but I actually just asked them, I was like, what do I look like when I'm happy? What do I look like when I'm sad? What do I look like when I'm frustrated? And what do I look like when I'm energized? And it was so, so interesting when I asked dad what, um, what it looks like when I'm sad, he actually told me a, a word I use. I always say the word fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And he knows oh. that I'm upset or something's there. And I know that's probably a really obvious one for people, but um, it was interesting to know that I didn't even realize the language I was using. So it's both in terms of like mm. the physical manifestations of that and the language that the you language. use. Your parents have a tendency to just know what's up. Well, wow, that has hit so close to home. Um, yeah, I'm feeling it a little bit. <laughs> right oh, the heartstrings. So, uh, yes. so what does that look like from a, a practical perspective for everyone else kind of listening at home? Yeah. So I think that's the first one you can do. Have like conduct an interview or do a conversation with your parent. Again, it doesn't have to be an interview, but or your partner and ask them these questions out of curiosity. If you're not feeling the love in terms of, and it's too soon to try and um, get that information, I recommend asking maybe a colleague at work um, who you like or who you're close with to just monitor you and have a look and just ask them, hey, when I'm happy, what do you notice what I do? Or when I'm sad, what do you notice? And then give it two or three weeks so you've actually forgotten about it and then have a conversation after the fact and you'd be really um, intrigued to realize how many of the things pop up that are different from a personal and a work environment. And, and doing this, you see mm. and you get to be so surprised at your emotional states, but you're more likely to perceive emotions in other people and you're less likely to be primed to people in a positive and negative way. So that's my brain tool number one, which is create your own mirror, have those conversations with your parents to identify them and yeah, hopefully emotional management becomes a bit easier. Wow, I uh, definitely have to go do that <laughs> pretty ASAP. <laughs> Because um, I think it's that, it's that moment of recognition, self-recognition of what you're projecting outwards um, because it has such an impact. Yeah, I, I, it was so interesting when I did it. And, and as you said, right, I think that's the, the notion. It's really hard to interpret feelings and everything, but I know you've got a brain tool that, uh, that can possibly help. A, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is probably the one I use most, right? And just picture this for a second. Take a trip down imagination lane. You've got a friend and they are completely freaking out, having a panic attack. They're stressed and you're trying to calm them down, trying to help them out. They're hyperventilating. They're sweating. They are absolutely out of control, completely deregulated. What, what do you do? What's, what's, what's the process there? Um, and you want to try to convey that you're there to understand them. But you don't want to say, I understand what you feel. No, 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 no. You don't want to do that because you don't know exactly what they're for, how, what exactly how they feel. So what do you do? You use what's called an effect check. Um, and this is one of the, the best ways to show you're listening as they describe their feelings. And if you're dealing with someone venting, so rather than cut them off or rather than interject with a personal story, show them your vocal, hearing them by vocalizing how you think they feel. It sounds like you're feeling X, Y, and Z because of X, Y, and Z. Why should you use this? Well, 
as we kind of talked about before, but one of the worst things you can do is not actively listen when someone's processing and deregulating. And the reason is if you look at the research, when we feel misunderstood or feel like people are not understanding uh, what we're saying and sharing, the regions of our brain associated with pain processing activate. So we, we actually feel physical, almost feel physical pain when we're misunderstood. And when you, you say something like, I understand what you feel, but you're not demonstrating that. <laughs> when you do something like that, or you interject too soon without letting them know you've understood what they're, they're experiencing, there's a high chance you could trigger that pain experience or, or that experience of discomfort. And we've all had that, right? You know, you're, you're pouring your heart out to someone and they go, oh yeah, I get, I get what you're feeling. And you feel worse as a result. So instead of doing that, you should use, and psychologists use this all the time, by the way, this is one of the biggest things they're taught, uh, psychologists are taught when they're, when they're dealing with their patients, is you help validate the way they feel by labeling their emotions with, it sounds like you're feeling X emotion. And whether you're right or wrong, they will tell you, like, oh, no, I actually feel this. But because you're trying and there's an effort and perceived effort of trying to understand their emotions, and you may even get it wrong, you're showing you really are listening. So you, you can't lose either way. And then the, the biggest thing is to just say it and then stop and let them keep talking. I really like that. And I think based on what you're saying, that, 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 that question stem, if or like statement stem people can use, which is it sounds like, because it sounds like is much different to you are feeling. Yeah, right? it's, totally. very, it's very different to a statement. It's a very like, I'm unsure, but I'm trying mm. to guess. Can you help me out? And it's that little, little uncertainty. It's like 50 to 70%, I might be right, might be wrong that leads a person to actually fill the gap and close it or correct you, which I, I really, really like, Sam. I really like I, it. And you know what? I, I love it because I use it all the time. Like it does a couple of things. It makes them feel validated. It makes them feel heard. And when you get it right, you get this, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And suddenly like everything they've said to you has just been instantly validated. And so it's a really nice moment. I love it because like the analogy that's coming to my mind right now is like, it's almost as if with this active listening and, you know, this affect check that you want to finish a hundred meter race together. Like if you yeah. are running like tied together, if someone goes too fast, you're dragging the other person or you're leaving them behind, Ooh. but you want to cross at that finishing line and it almost becomes a bit of a check to like, Hey, yeah. am I going forward with you at the same speed at the right tempo? Um, so you finish both winners, not losers. That is a brilliant analogy, and I'm really jealous you came up with that. But I'm also kind of proud of you, so <laughs> good job. <laughs> Thanks. The rust, just getting the rust off. The rust yeah. off. <laughs> just, just dust. Yeah. Cool. So that's a brain tool number two. Is the affect checked? Sounds like you're feeling blah blah blah. I love it. So we move into then the last last two, um, and we're just gonna, we're going to get through this. I think brain tool number three. Okay. And I think um, the moment I say this, I know Sam's going to either A, start laughing or B, start laughing or C, start laughing. But uh, we'll, we'll see if I can uh, manage, his, uh, manage his laughter. Brain tool number three, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, Oh, no. <laughs> okay. No, no one can see this right no now. No one can see that. Sam has just whipped out Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly affected people. And uh, he's, it's clearly his Bible. It's, it's leadership <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> leadership dynamite. And I think the reason I put that as brain tool number three is that the problem we always speak about early on is that people have a tendency to speak too soon when someone else has spoken, as opposed to having a dialogue or a conversation where two people are involved, you end up becoming be having a monologue. And it's akin to like playing tennis on two separate courts, but assuming you're on the same court. And so when you do this, you want to make sure you're actually understanding exactly what the other person's going through and feeling before you yourself share your experience, your understanding of it. So the way that I would 
go about this in terms of really implementing it is say, for example, you're on a Zoom call at the moment or in a phone call and you have that feeling that pops up, it normally pops up deep in your chest where you really want to say something. Normally when an intellectual argument or when someone's speaking, you're like, hey, I've got the best idea, I've got the best idea. Put yourself on mute. Stop yourself from doing so because if you put yourself on mute, you'll probably end up speaking, right? But no other people won't hear it. And that way you'll actually stop yourself from um, actually going forward and ruining the trend of the conversation accordingly. So that's the first part, if I can put that out. Thoughts on that one, Sam? Yeah, it's almost as if you're disrupting your emotional interruption process. That that process where we have to, egocentric, have to put out how we how we think and what we think and how we feel. I absolutely love it. And that congruity, as you said. Now, if you are live in the moment, right, and you're actually with another person and you're having a conversation, especially the one, the conversations you are not expecting, because, you know, we always talk about, I think Louis Pasteur says, luck favors the prepared mind. And when we're not prepared, we normally can de-ravel, like unravel completely. But when you're having a conversation, someone comes to you and asks you a question or says a statement, as opposed to giving a statement back, just ask them, what do you mean? Obviously with an authentic, you know, a warm thing, you know, like, what do you mean? But like, what do you mean? Because that creates a pause for the other person to clarify their understanding. It gives you time then to really engage and listen with what they're saying. Because the first time around, you didn't listen to a word they said. The second time around, you are actually now listening and you're more likely to create a cascade of questions you can ask them so you get the data and the information. Another really good one is, can you repeat that, please? And doing that creates the pause. It makes them feel listened and heard and you're able to take that uh, take that chill pill and, and really go on your way. I really like that. And because not only does it help you, but as we talked about in the uh, episode on negative emotions, creating that emotional pause is almost, it's almost like a disruption pattern for their emotional processing. Because by having to go back and and revisit their thoughts, they're disrupting the way they're feeling in the moment. They're re-articulating how they felt. And so you're kind of also giving them like a bit of a I'm looking for my analogy, but I can't find her. Where did she go, Mr. Mrs. Analogy? <laughs> um, it's almost like a bit of a break, right? It's an emotional break, stop break that you're helping them pull on um, that pause in the moment. I love that massively. And I think this is the thing that people don't realize as I sort of wrap up this brain tool is people, you know, when people talk about investors and, you know, what they bring to the table, they're normally the people that just ask really good questions, right? But yeah. people don't I think, realize why they ask really good questions. And it's because they're sitting there observing for ages. They might ask one or two questions. They're getting lots of data and they've had time to think about everything. So when they deliver their one liner, it's everyone sits there like, you're a genius. But in reality, they've just spent stuff watching, observing, listening, and formulating the question they need to ask or want to ask that comes away through. So this is the rule. Don't speak. You get more data. And as we speak about always, Albert Einstein said, if you've got 60 minutes to solve a problem, spend 59 minutes defining it and one minute on the solution. Really seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And that is brain tool number three. Yeah, that, that's a great one that I need to get better at using. But I, I have think another, we both do. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. We're probably doing it right now. <laughs> can, can you imagine if we both just went silent though on a podcast? No, I'm just trying to get more data points. <laughs> brain tool number four i'm ready i'm so ready brain tool number four um so i gave away the problem to this tool a little bit earlier but if you've got that situation i was talking about where someone is freaking out or specifically when they're really stressed and they feel like they're losing control uh this often happens when people are anxious you know they, they kind of spiral into that pattern of rumination where it's what if this happens what if this happens and they start contemplating all these things that are totally out of their control and in the future which is what anxiety is what you can do to help them regain a sense of control and to mitigate their stress response is to give them back control with tiny choices. 
So I learned this from uh, Andrew Samity's podcast, but also from Dr. Eric Jensen, who, who works a lot with children. And this is a big one they do. And what I mean by this is you simply ask them questions that make that force them to make a bit of a decision about minute things that then give them some agency and control. And an example of that might be like, okay, do you want to go talk about this uh, over at the table or over at the couch? Can I get you a glass of water or a glass of milk? Little things like that. And the reason we use this is because our sense of control, when, when you look at all the studies, our sense of control is inversely um, related to our stress response. Mm. So the more control we have, the less stress we feel in the moment. Whereas often when we feel completely out of control, we have this crazy stress response. And that's just our brain's way of protecting us because the things that are out of control are uncertain. So our brain's unable to predict what happens next. That prediction pattern breaks down and the brain totally freaks out. Um, if, if you look at the research, that's essentially what happens more or less. But giving people back that agency with choices helps them regain the control and it does this in little ways. So if you give someone, you know, a series of three or four questions where you're asking them to do little things while they're really, really stressed out, like, okay, um, it sounds like you're feeling really, really stressed out. Do you want to go talk about your stress uh, at the table here or do you want to go talk about it in that room over there? And you keep giving these progressive questions. What you're doing is giving a sign to their, a signal to their brain, hey, you are actually in control. Because look at all these things that you are controlling. And so you're helping them re-regulate themselves in a really, really subtle way. And it's not manipulative because this only really works when someone's stressed out and you're trying to help them become less stressed. But when someone is stressed out, you know, use these tiny choices to, to help them regain control of themselves. I love it. I love this one so much because in reality, what you're doing with these questions, right? And I'm reminded of like sales 101, if I can yeah. be really frank with you. But you're trying to get micro commitments from the person. Right. And, you know, these, these yeses, people saying yes is getting, is, you know, creating, they're getting up the hill, getting up the hill, getting up the hill. So when you ask them the harder questions or getting them to elaborate, they've got at least information to peg that to. So they, like you said, feel con in control. And the reality is, right, people, if their reactance is inhibited, like if they've got high levels of reactance, their free will is impeded, impeded upon, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to manage their, them whatsoever. And as you said, doing that um, can help massively. I really like this one. They all work really nicely together, if I don't say so myself. They, they all they all totally do. Uh, and the other thing it does is on top of, of those commitments, it acts as a bit of a, an emotional disruptor, you know? So people have to, you have to stop thinking about the future if you're trying to answer a question about the present. So it creates a stopgap too. And it's wow. easy. It's I, easy. It's, it's super easy. Super easy. Just a couple of questions. You know, bring them back into the present. Wow. To the top, That's my great. friend. I reckon we got a, I reckon we got a recap. Is those all rap? These are, those are fire. Fire. Those were hot. They were, we were hot in the booth. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's recap. I'll bring it on. Great let's tool number one is to create your own mirror. In order to try and manage the emotions of other people, you need to recognize the emotions you bring to the table, both from a physical manifestation and from a verbal manifestation. Actually speaking to your parents, your partner, people who know you really well and ask them the question, hey, what does it look like when I'm happy, sad, and so on, is going to be massive in terms of you not being blind to your own emotions so you can manage the emotions of other people. That's brain tool number one, create Ooh. your own mirror. Brain tool number two is the affect checked. Don't say, I understand what you feel. Label it. Label it like a psychologist would. It sounds like you feel X. Doing this shows that you're listening, you're participating in the conversation, you're trying to understand how they feel. And whether you get it right or wrong, you're giving them an opportunity to expand on their feelings and validate how they feel. Brain tool number two, yeah, affect check. Love it. Brain tool number three, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Uh, Sam's Bible, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But the long and short of it is don't speak. Don't, yep. don't speak, ask a question yep. that clarifies, even if you already know it, 
What do you mean? Can you repeat that back to me? Create that pause to allow you to really start actively listening, give the other people the spotlight so that you can get the data you need to then manage their emotions accordingly. That's brain tool number three. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Strong. And brain tool number four is for those stressed out humans in your life having an anxiety or a panic attack, give them back a bit of control to regain control of their emotional state with tiny chest choices. Tiny choices, three questions. Would you like to do X or Z? Uh, doing these gives people back their agency and it helps also disrupt their emotional processing by bringing them back into the present to answer something they have to do then. So brain tool number four, uh, tiny choices. I love it. Sammy, we're coming to the end. I reckon yeah. not bad. I've got to be this is just a comment. Not bad for a few weeks off. I think we've done all right here. <laughs> slight we, pat we, on the back. Slight, slight pat on the back. Not this bad. could have been an absolute train wreck, yeah. but we've done all right. <laughs> so we're going to round this out. 80-20, what's uh, the Pareto's principle, your big takeaway from today? Uh, my big one is emotional management is all about listening deeply and showing you're listening. And it's the best way to deescalate. Show you understand. So good. Uh, mine, if I can, is questions are the ultimate form of listening. As you said, with oh, yeah. active listening, questions validate your understanding and it also gives the spotlight to another person to share theirs. And that's the takeaways. Oh, love it. Well, that was a, a great snappy episode. Very, very happy that we got that one out, but also kind of rounds out uh, our, our mini series on emotions. As of this episode, we are sending out an episode how-to guide. It is a wrap up with practical steps for implementing what we talked about today. That means you will find uh, information about how to implement a mirror of your own. It means you find information about the affect check and different phrasing, a whole bunch of really practical stuff and you can get it by signing up at braintools.substack.com. It's just once a week a newsletter where we send these out and it's totally free. So go on, go and do that. Go check it out. Implementation guide. Well, that brings it to the end. I, uh, I'm excited for the next couple of episodes as we come through. We're pumped to bring you a bunch of stuff in 2021. We are so excited to give Brain Tools a massive crack to, to help you, the people, understand your brains to live a better life. But until next time, we'll see you, we'll see you next week. See you next week, everyone.